Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and presson falsies. Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists, and in each episode, we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not, and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. What's coming up, Adam? Well, we're going to look at one of those forgotten areas of gardening, planting summer bulbs. Not spring bulbs, summer bulbs, those beautiful summer blooms. We're going to have a look at ponds and water features and more importantly, how to take care of them at this time of year, keeping them clean and healthy and make sure they're looking fantastic for spring. And then we have an interview with Jason Gildhart from Aquatech Equipment. These guys know everything there is to know about ponds and all of the machinery and equipment you need to get your pond awesome. Good. I'm looking forward to it. And don't forget, Milton Black will be here to give us his tips for gardening by the moon. Bulbs. Bulbs, bulbs. Plant them in autumn for spring flowers, right? Absolutely, but there's more to come. What about the summer flowering bulbs? Yes. There are a whole host of bulbs and tubers that you can be planting now that will give you incredible displays in summer. And I think people forget about that. We get we get so focused on the whole thing of the, the spring flowering bulbs, we forget about some of these fantastic things that we can have that just totally rock the summer garden and give you some brilliant, brilliant colour. Now, depending on your region, a lot of these will naturalise in the garden very well too. Now, have you got some tips for us? What do you reckon, Jen? Well, the thing is with the spring bulbs is that, you know, so many of them are mass planted and that's that's the great effect that they have. But with the summer bulbs, you can actually just sort of grow one or two and make a real feature out of it. You know, I think um, one especially is the pineapple lily, um, which just looks fabulous in a pot. And it's a lily, but it looks like a pineapple. It just is an amazing plant. Um, and they come in lovely flowers. They come in pink, lilac, cream. And then I think the special feature of this particular plant is those little tufts of, of leaves that come out. It looks like cartoon hair, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, they look, they, and they look, they're, they're almost like a Dr. Zeus plant, aren't they? Yes. They've got that, got that crazy look happening. And as you said, the color combinations, because it's, it's kind of like this foliage plant that's, in some respects, it's like a bromeliad, isn't it? You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, you've got that foliage thing happening, but then also this incredible flowering thing. And, and because of those hybrids that have got those incredible foliage, College colours, they're fantastic. But that they do tend to be a warmer climate yes, plant, though, and, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and they need a sunny spot. So, you know, like if you like things being to be a bit cool, then um, the tuberose begonia. Yeah, the tuberous begonias are amazing. They're they're a bit of an old-fashioned forgotten plant, but there's some new cultivars of those out now that are making them a, a much more desirable garden plant that'll grow in a, a little bit more sun than the the old-fashioned ones. So yeah, but it's like having a rose bush in the shade. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can you can track some of those down, have a look. One of my favourites, and they they are very old school, but I I I don't know. They are just so over-the-top flamboyant is the hippie astrums. 
Yes. I mean, <laughs> big, fat, beautiful blooms. They're, they're ludicrously big. I mean, they're yep. these incredibly crazy big flowers. I think in, they're in really some great colours. They are the garden extroverts, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And such an enormous bulb, too. The bulb yeah. itself is quite big. We had, in our last garden, we had one. I still have no idea where it came from. It popped up out of the blue and it was wow. just. Brilliant. It just appeared in between a couple of – It was your classic white and red striped oh, flower. fantastic, yeah. And it just appeared out of nowhere and popped up between a couple of camellias and I was like, what the – where did you come from? But I, I let that one stay because it just looks so fantastic. And yeah. it's, you know, they are very hardy and a very reliable bulb across a, a, quite a, a range of conditions. I like also for a cool climate, I like the liliums simply because, I mean, they've got those beautiful lily-like flowers – but they're a little bit rebellious because they have freckles. Mm. Well, and good foliage structure too. That's yes. that's the that's the important thing. As you were saying, a lot of these uh, are larger plants. You know, rather than being just that that mass planted, they can they can speak for themselves, so to speak. They they make a strong statement through their foliage, and then they top. It's topped off by that beautiful flowering display. So mm. yes, I, I agree with you. The liliums are a, are a great one. And then you've got the old-fashioned tuberose, which I think is really lovely. They make a beautiful, tall, spiky statement in the garden. Yeah, with a fragrance that is just absolutely to die for. Yes, it I is. Mean, that's, rather that's, sweet, it, isn't it, it is a plant. You, they're hard to get, but it's a plant that deserves to make a comeback, doesn't it? I think it's time. It is. Let's let's make that. I think we need T-shirts. Okay. All right. <laughs> But I tell you an old school classic too that that you know it, we think of this one as definitely being the the old bloke down the street growing these is dahlias and yes. and dahlias uh, often when we see them grown it's somebody that's completely fanatical and they've got the big six foot long wooden stakes with the pantyhose holding up the one shoot and everything else and that's because they've been trying to grow these things to get the biggest, best individual flower. But mm. if you let a dahlia bush just run its course and give it a little bit of support if it needs it, but they will be covered in flowers, absolutely, you know, smaller size flowers, but I absolutely I really like beautiful. them like that when they're so, so busy with flowers because, you know, the flowers come up like little pin cushions. Mm. Well, they're not pin cushions, but but like like cushions themselves and you just sort of look them and and you just want to go and lie in them because they look so comfortable. <laughs> you were a little flower fairy in a last life, weren't you, Jen? I was. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think that's uh, there's some great suggestions there for summer flowering bulbs, that, that forgotten bulb category. And it's worth bearing in mind too that a lot of these aren't traditional bulb bulbs. They're not no. like your your classic tulip shaped bulb. These are these can be rhizomes and they're big bulbs and they're they're strange convoluted roots and things so if you you'll find them off quite often in nurseries and they'll be in little hanging sacks and in in a bit of sawdust and they're quite odd shapes and sizes don't Mm. let that put you off they are definitely worthwhile looking at for the summer garden i think that summer bulbs are can be the summer garden's exclamation point absolutely yeah Hey, water features. What do you reckon of water features? I personally, I'm an enormous fan. I, I don't think you can have enough water features. One, two, three. Oh, I'm sticking with one. You're sticking with one? Yeah, and it's a lovely little thing. It's a shade one. A shady one. Ah, mm-hmm. they're always very challenging, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's difficult to to get one to, to function well because there's so many potential problems that can pop up in the shade. Likewise, if they're in too much sun, yes. Mm. 
And it, it's a great time of year to be adding a water feature, particularly a pond, as it's a lot more comfortable to be doing any digging, digging you know, if, you, yeah. if you're going to be digging a hole to, to put one in the ground. Now, what's, what's your water feature? Is yours a, like a preformed bowl or a no, pond? No, no, I or? dug. I dug and then you, I put um, that rubber matting. What's it called? Yes, yeah, pond liner. The black, yes, yeah, the black yes, stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. Fantastic stuff. It's very, very useful. It's yeah. amazing that you can basically – create a pond out of anything. But you can create different levels so that you can put different plants at different levels within the pond as well. that is a really important point. If people want to have plants in their ponds, then it is very important that they they understand the different plants that they're putting in because Mm -hmm. that's – often you see the mistake people will create a water bowl, you know, using a a typical pot and they'll seal the pot. They'll drop a lily in and it never really performs because the water simply isn't deep enough. Yeah. You know, that, that things like lilies do want to be at least you know, 40 or 50 centimetres underneath the water level. To, they want their roots down in the cool, but they want their leaves right up there in the yeah. sun. So, And it's what you plant around the pool as well. I think that sort of adds to the feature. I think mm. that – so what I've got around my pool are um, some gingers, mm. which just – I only planted about three, but now there's probably about 10 of them. And they grow tall and fall over and just create that lovely sort of um, riverside mm. effect. And that's the important thing, isn't it, when you're selecting plants for, for going in the pond or beside the pond, because I mentioned the lilies, they like the deep water, but there's also those sort of transitional plants, the marginal plants that like shallow water or even just wet soil on the edge mm. of the pond. And mm. that's where you get things like the gingers and the iris and stuff. And they, they just fill up so much by themselves, but they have that fantastic appearance. They just look absolutely brilliant and they accentuate the feel of the water feature. They're, yes. just, they're just absolutely beautiful. But, you know, one thing is at this time of year, if you do have an existing pond, they can start to look a wee bit mucky because the... You know, you've had if particularly if you've got deciduous trees, you can have all that leaf fall, and you can have lots. I and get lots leaf of muck fall from up. my evergreen trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's can I tell you? That's something I've always found funny. That that when I talk to people about putting a deciduous tree, and they say, "Oh no, I don't want all those leaves," and then you point out that. Most of the other trees just keep dropping just as many leaves, but mm. they do it all year. Mm. Whereas, mm. <laughs> at least with deciduous trees, you know they're going to do it like clockwork, all in one big dump. <laughs> well, see, I've got a water house here, which is a beautiful, beautiful lily pilly, um, and it drops leaves all the time. So, mm. what I've had to do, and I think it's an idea that you might think of temporarily in, win- in autumn and in winter, is just to put very fine netting across the pond mm, so you can okay, catch yep. all the leaves at the same time and then just scoop it up. And, and just take them up, yeah. Mm. Well, there, sometimes it does hit that stage where you've got to get a lot of stuff out. I know one of our ponds at our last place was underneath a gum tree and it ended up with twigs in it and mm. gum leaves and gum leaves just do not break down. They're not no, like they those deciduous leaves. So occasionally you just have to get in there. You've got to bite the bullet and do a big clean-up. And I, I must admit, having grown up in a house with fish ponds and, and having ponds myself, I sort of – I think I've got the technique pretty well sorted, but you you stop me if you think I've, I, there's any suggestions need to be thrown in there. What I tend to do is I'll take a decent amount of water out of the pond, particularly if I've got any fish or other yeah. critters in there that I want to make sure they go back into the pond. So I'll get a big tub or a bucket, bucket. and that'll be the water from the pond. I'll put all of my my livestock, let's call it, just for convenience, into that bucket, so they've got the same water. They're not going to be getting any sort of that's really shock really important from different yeah, water. They will yeah. shock, mm. and then get some sort of ventilated cover over the top of it because you don't want 
anybody's cat or birds getting <laughs> your little creatures that you're trying to save, then you can actually get to the stage of draining the pond out. Now, in a lot of cases, you might need to lift your plants out too because mm-hmm. they they even if they went in in pots, water plants are very good at, at completely splitting their pots open. So you'll find that they will have often migrated out into the surrounding pond. So you need to get the, the plants out. Sometimes you can actually divide the plants up too. Many of them, particularly the iris, mm-hmm. are very good at being able to be broken up and you can create new clumps out of them. And as I said, the uh, some of those iris are marginal plants, so you can plant them beside the beside, pond. They yeah. don't necessarily and have that, to be... Sort of, then you don't even have an edge to the No, pond. that's right. It creates this completely smooth transition mm-hmm. from the water to the, to the garden, which is a beautiful look. Um, but things like water lilies... They do need to be fed, and I think people forget about this. There are special fertilisers. They're big pellets, and it's from Osmocote, the same people that make the good um, pelletised fertiliser, but they make one specially for aquatic plants. So what Mm -hmm. you need to do is lift your water lily out, and if there's still room in the pot, then just basically give it a bit of a feed and um, put it back in. You just put a couple of these big pellets into its mix. Um, But basically give all of those plants a bit of TLC. If you're going to put them back into pots, you need to make sure you use some sort of mix that is completely silt-free because that's what can cloud your water it up. Does. So yeah. it needs to be um, even even going so far as using something like a cacti or a bonsai mix, those things that are a bit lower in organic components, and, and give it a, ru- a wash through first to get any silt out of it. And then put your plant in it and put some gravel or something on top so the potting mix doesn't actually flow. Yeah, I was out. going to suggest yeah, that. Yeah. Mm. So that's one of the best ones. Now, something I always do with ponds is I put gravel in the bottom. Generally, I use river pebbles because it's a bit of a, a nicer look. But the p- reason for doing that is it creates a natural biological filter zone that basically lots and lots of good bacteria and little critters like dragonfly larvae and all things like that, they actually end up living inside that gravel and it creates a natural biofiltration system for your pond. So it's very important for helping to keep your water clear. So, And then you can start to reverse the process, fill it back up, let the water stand for a couple of days to settle and let any chlorine, chlorine come out of it, yep. Yeah, particularly if you're on town water, not tank water. You can get Oof. some water clarifying products to put in there if you feel the need to. And then slowly introduce your fish back in or your critters back in by putting that bucket into the water so the temperatures equalise and then you can drop them back in. And that's your pond, sorted. But what do you do? Like if you're living in the colder climate, what do you do if ice is over? If there's ice over, you chip the ice off. Mm. <laughs> you don't use a hot I'll pan? be honest, I'm, I'm not used to dealing oh, with right. an icy yes. pond. <laughs> mm. Well, we used to um, take a hot pan, you know, boiling water, yep. just stick it on top and so that it just slowly melts through because it's really important if you're in the area where you, you water in the pond is going to frost over or freeze over that um, you get oxygen in to feed the plants and, and the fish and whatever other creatures you've got in there. Yeah, and well, and that's an amazing thing too, isn't it? That even when it's iced over on top, you can still end up with those fish swimming very slowly in yes. the in the water, but they do actually survive through mm. the water being frozen over on top. So if somebody wanted to add a water feature, it's an easy and awesome thing to do. And I thought we would get some advice from the professionals. So on the line, we have got Jason Gilthart from Aquatech Equipment. Now, they're the guys behind AquaPro and PondMax products. And Jason is a product specialist. G'day, Jason. Thanks for joining us, mate. Now, give us a few reasons why a water feature is an outdoor lifestyle space must have. Oh, look, Adam, there are so many reasons. My favourite, though, is the calming, peaceful ambience that actually adds to your outdoor space. 
But I also love how it brings birds and wildlife um, into your backyard. It actually attracts them. And there's something especially incredible about watching water, listening to it. It's very calming. Um, and it can even be a simple little pond or water feature that can spruce up the property to do that. So, yeah, well, I've long said that they've got great advantages, particularly you know with our cities getting more built up these days and a lot more ambient noise around. They're a great source of white noise. So you know if you've got your own little quiet corner in the garden, you have a have a gurgling water feature, and it creates that white noise to distract you from the background, you know, the traffic noise and the humdrum of the city and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. That's one of my other reasons why we've got it ourselves, personally. So, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Now, what are you seeing with water features today? I, my dad was always big on water features, and it was your classic old school fish pond. You know, we're talking the chicken wire covered in concrete, in you know, lining <laughs> lining the hole dug in the ground, and it seemed to be perfectly positioned so all the kookaburras in the neighbourhood could come for a free feed. I mean, <laughs> we've moved on past that, haven't we? We've we've moved to a different sort of water feature today, haven't we? Well, yes, yes, and no. Um, there's still a r- real significant demand for the traditional pond, as keeping pond uh, fish and koi fish in general still very popular pastime. In saying that, though, um, as we've seen evident from many of the award-winning gardens at the Melbourne International Flower Show, is that peop- it is becoming a big part of gardens putting water features in. Um, they're really growing in popularity because it does add that well factor to your outdoor living areas. But one of the trends that we've really noticed is people are actually starting to combine both the water feature and the pond together. And what it does is it actually reflects their style and personality and they can make something truly unique. And that's what we find a lot of people actually looking for these days. Mm, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. I guess people can use a, a classic preformed liner and then they can add the, the water feature, the input themselves to it uh, to completely change the characteristics of it from being just a, a static piece of water. And that's, that's an important point. You know, is water movement important? Do you see that as a central part of a water feature? Oh, most definitely. Look, our saying is um, the heart of the pond is actually the pump. Um, it's crucial because water movement is going to reduce any long-term maintenance drastically, but it's also going to keep away um, algae blooms, unwanted bugs in the area. But the big piece is it stops that increased maintenance. So, yeah, water movement is essential. Yeah, okay. And I suppose, too, that you know, one of the big things, as soon as you talk to people about water features, they say, oh, no, I'll have mozzies if I have water features. And I, I would imagine that, obviously, you're going to reduce that risk if you have that, that well-set-up water movement. Absolutely. Look, we get that question almost every day ourselves, um, but there are ways to obviously deter them, and that's through the water movement, some simple bio-treatments that can be used, or even just having fish in the pond can make a big difference. Mm. I've got several water features and a pond in my backyard, and even though we do still have mozzies floating around, I've never had an issue with them breeding any one of my water features or ponds ever. Yeah, and that's interesting. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it, about the movement, the maintenance, and then then making sure you actually have a, a little ecosystem there in the pond with a, the, even if they're tadpoles from frogs, they obviously are going to help with all these type of problems. Now, Absolutely. Have you got some tips on deciding on the best type of water feature for, for people's gardens? What's, what's a good way for them to evaluate the type of feature that will work at their place? Well, look, we hold true to our motto here, which is discover, create, and enjoy. So everybody's preferences are going to be different, but the most important thing for us is making sure that our clients actually enjoy their design or concept. So in order to do that and to make um, the, the water feature of the pond not a chore but more of an enjoyment is doing a lot, some research, asking um, some of the retail stores out there for some advice. 
they're going with a concept design and you want to know where you're going to be putting it into your garden, um, looking at the environment, things around it as well. So we can walk through those steps with our clients um, very easily with them. At the end of the day, we want their water garden dreams to come to life. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and when people are looking at the best location for a water feature? Look, it just depends entirely on the nature of the water feature. Um, for ponds or water features with plants and fish, we do encourage around about four hours worth of sun a day minimum. Mm-hmm. But if they're no fish or plants, it's not essential at all. Sun can encourage algae growth in some cases, so, but that's easily controlled with the right setup and advice. Yeah. So often not an issue. So, so I imagine really in some respects the ideal setup for a pond would be kind of to have an end in the shade and then you have your water circulation so that water is getting turned over and that gives the fish somewhere to stay out of direct sun and then the plants that you want to grow can be in the full sun end. So I, I imagine that would kind of be the, the best case scenario, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and again, it depends where your trees are positioned during the day and things like mm, that. Mm. That sun's constantly moving. So I have seen it many times where people don't have it in the sun at all and they have a perfect setup too. Yeah, but we okay. do encourage it, especially if you've got plants like lilies and so forth. Yes, and of course, there are, if, if people do only have a shady situation, then then they can. there's a whole range of plants that will grow quite well in the shade too. It's not just, you know, the water lilies, of course, need a lot of sun, but um, there's many, many shade-loving plants that do well in a pond in the shade. Absolutely. So, now, people do tend to look first and foremost, I guess, at the preformed ponds, those moulded shapes, which there's, you know, sometimes there's the, the brown or the pebble-creedy ones, but the, the black liners are the most popular and personally, I prefer them because you it sort of creates an, a greater feeling of depth. Now, if people want something bigger than a preformed pond, is there a way they can go about it? Oh, absolutely. Look, I personally love the creations people come up with using airliners. Mm. Um, they're obviously different types depending on budget and what the requirements of the customer are. But the two types to consider are PVC and EPDM liner. Yep. Um, they've both got pros and cons, but both liners are amazing products. They work really well, and you can really make something truly unique in that sense by custom designing exactly what you want, which generally people can't get that out of a pre, uh, pre-moulded pond. Yeah, and they're basically just like a big rubber sheet, aren't they, that you can – so you can just dig your hole and then mould it around and that sort of thing, yeah. Exactly right, and they've got a very long lifespan. They're very durable. Um, and completely non-toxic as well, so great for fish ponds. Yeah, and and if people want aquaponic systems too, of course, that gives them the ability to use that. Exactly now, right. That's a growing thing too. Yes, indeed. We might even have a whole segment talking about that sometime. But now, what do you see yeah. as some of the essential extras for a uh, for a pond and a water feature? Look, as we said, the heart of the pond is the pump, so the pump's the key thing. But making sure we also get treatments um, in that system, but also placement of the filtration, you're getting that right. And once you get the sizes right and your treatments right, the whole ecosystem really comes together. And that's the key essential is getting that ecosystem right because that's what's going to make you enjoy your pond rather than having it as a chore. But one thing that really shines out is lighting. People often overlook it, but lighting can really bring that pond or water feature to life, especially at night for entertaining purposes. Mm, and it, it makes your garden something more than just for, for the daytime hours, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. It really brings it to life at night. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Jason Gildhart from Aquatech Equipment, product specialist. That is some fantastic advice for anybody thinking about water features. And we'll uh, chat soon. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, have a great day. Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black.
Hi, Milton. How are you? Very well, Jenny. And uh, what an interesting couple of weeks we've got for gardening at the moment because on the 6th, the moon's actually in Libra. Now, Mm -hmm. this is is really um, a very fertile sign. So get ready out there, gardeners, and get your bucket and your spade and everything like that and your plants and your seed boxes and get ready to go. Because we had a new moon last Thursday, and it's now on the wax. It's actually growing up to the full moon. Mm -hmm. So we've got Tuesday the 6th and Wednesday. The moon actually moves from Libra into Scorpio Wednesday. Two very, very fertile signs. So all above-ground crops go in here at this stage. This is where your cabbage, your beans, your leeks, your spinach, your strawberries still, and asparagus, rhubarb, all that sort of thing can go in. And if you've got a greenhouse, you can put in your lettuce, and you can also put in your tomatoes too if you've got a greenhouse. So all above-ground crops here, but no pruning. Definitely no pruning. Now, the moon goes into the first quarter on Thursday, so you can have a rest in the garden because there's no planting, no garden maintenance. You can water if if it requires water. But on Thursday, just have a break. Now, the moon goes into Sagittarius Friday, Saturday, and then it's most of the day in Sunday too before it goes into Capricorn at 2.50 p.m. So this weekend coming up, I would suggest you just tidy up around the garden, perhaps a little bit of uh, fertiliser, just light fertilising, not heavy fertilising, and uh, you can dig around your plants, do a little bit of uh, um, sort of cleaning up to a certain degree. Uh, If you want to transplant, I would do it on the Sunday when the moon's uh, actually entering uh, Capricorn in the afternoon at 2.50. So get your transplanting ready on Saturday, transplant on Sunday, and as the moon goes into Capricorn in the afternoon, and it'll stay there right through uh, until the um, moon enters Aquarius on Wednesday. So you've got really... um, the 11th, 12th, 13th, and um, up to about the morning, up to about lunchtime of the 14th to plant your above-ground crops. So this is very good too for your perennials that you want to um, get ready for the the summer and put your flowers in. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also put in shrubs and trees during that period. And uh, by this stage, of course, you should have had all your bulbs there. Now, if any bulbs are starting to pop up at the moment, just be a little bit careful that when you're weeding too, that you don't snip the the spouts off them because otherwise you'll ruin your bulbs. Mm -hmm. So just be extra careful there when they start poking their heads. But from the... um, from Sunday through to uh, lunchtime on Wednesday, excellent for planting above-ground crops. Now, the full moon, and that's the eclipse comes in there um, on the full moon in Aquarius at 10.29 p.m. on the Thursday. But all that day, Thursday, don't worry about planting at all. But we've got the best of both worlds over this cycle because on Friday, Saturday, that's Friday the 16th, Saturday the 17th, and also the 18th and the 19th, the moon's actually going from the full moon now down towards that last quarter. So this is where you put in your below-ground crops. Your potatoes can go in, your your, um, onions, radishes if you've got a greenhouse and things like this. Anything that grows under the ground, you do it there. Excellent for transplanting as well during those days. Bare-rooted trees can still go in during that cycle too. Your roses can still go in there during that period because they'll still get some good root growth. And um, I think you'll find right up to the uh, to about 3 o'clock 
on the 19th, it's excellent for planting. So the 16th to the 19th, all below ground crops. So you've got a bit of both worlds this next two weeks. You've got the above ground up to the full moon, and then you've got the below ground up to the um, the 19th. So you'll be very busy in the garden over this week. And I do think that it's, it's extremely good also. Um, you know, if you haven't divided your uh, perennials for a few years and you've got them sort of clustering up together, this is an excellent time, particularly between the 16th and the 19th, to break them up and replant them during that particular cycle. Right. And des- deciduous hibiscus uh, needs to be set back a little bit during this period as well. And, of course, this is an ideal time to get involved in these. And um, I, I think any of your deciduous plants um, is, is an excellent time to, to plant and also to um, you know, thin them out too at the same time during this particular cycle. But it's a, it's a very good gardening couple of weeks, and I do feel that you can um, – you know, enjoy yourself. But remember, no biggie heavy fertilising um, and, and no pruning really during that period. You do a little bit of light pruning, but um, I think you'll find that uh, everything's going to be fine. Now, look, just a little antidote here. Yeah. If you put plants into the soil a few days before the full moon, that's when they take advantage of these special powers, you see. Now, when the moon's actually growing up to that full moon, but particularly this month, when the moon's in Capricorn, mm-hmm. so from the 12th through to the uh, 14th, that's an excellent time there because if you can put them in during that cycle, you will have an earlier harvest than your neighbours. I can assure you of that because the moon is actually growing during that time. The moon is coming up to the full moon and you're going to get the full influence there. And, of course, on the waning moon, when the moon is less power, and that's from uh, the period from the 16th through to the 19th, you're below ground crops there too. If you plant those in, you'll have the best onions and you'll have the best radishes and you'll have the best potatoes in the neighbourhood. So just take that little tip. Excellent. And I'll tell you what, you know, it's been so dry down here. It's been so dry, Jenny. The trees are even whistling for the dogs at oh the moment. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon. Bye-bye, Bye. Middleton. Well, that was a great episode, don't you think, Jenny? Yes, I do. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does the fast fours and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at BHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It's the best way to help other garden lovers find us. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 